1: Everyone and welcome to our
2: bonus episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Hannah Chisett and I'm Laura Checkley, and guess what? We ain't celebrating anyone on this here bonus set, ep- but our very own sweet selves. <laughs> Sorry, I don't actually know why I said that. I've been in isolation for 14 days and I don't know who I am anymore. Oh, Christ. Wish me luck. (laughs) Yes, Laura is absolutely
1: right. We don't have a guest for this bonus episode because we thought we ought to pop on and... Well, tell you the fuck we are, basically, because no one knows us from Adam. (laughs) Well, they might know you, but they certainly won't have a clue who I am. We also wanted to explain why we wanted to do a podcast focusing on celebrating
2: working class success. Class is something I think we've always been obsessed about as a nation, and like it or not, it's still one of the main ways we categorise ourselves and others. As well as being one of the main social barriers to opportunity in education, in healthcare and health outcomes, to career and lifestyle opportunities, Hannah and I have known each other now for about 16 years. And over that period of time, I can't tell you how many times we've discussed the inequalities of class and the classism we have faced both professionally and personally. It's frustrating, and quite frankly, we want to talk about it. About a year ago, Laura called me raging about an article
1: she'd come across that said, being working class is something you try to escape from. And it pissed us right off. (laughs) It did. It did. (laughs) Because it's simply not true.
2: We've always felt immensely proud of our working class roots and it just rubbed us up the wrong way. There is so much negativity attached to being working class and we live in a system that, let's face it, is designed to keep us in our place. So we thought, enough's enough. Let's do something positive and talk about it talk about what it means to be working class let's celebrate being working class let's big up working class success stories and challenge some preconceptions and stereotypes as we go
1: this is by no means class bashing not at all we're just here to celebrate the hard work of the working class and we cannot wait to meet with some of our country's best working class success stories
2: i'm excited are you yeah i'm really excited (laughs) But first we thought well we should probably introduce ourselves that might be a nice idea. I'm going to I'm going to introduce Hannah. She's not actually heard what I've written here about her. It's a like a wedding vows. <laughs> 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 oh, dear, it actually is. It is. And it Quite might nervous. get a bit well You should be. I'm joking. Oh, Jesus. Uh, No, seriously. When I first met Hannah, she was running a theatre. She was actually the youngest ever female artistic director in the country. 25, in fact. Now, um, I spent the first part of my career in theatre, which, in my opinion, is steeped in classism. So, you know, I often felt out of place, uh, like I didn't belong. So when I first met Hannah, who spoke like me, wore hoops like me, and enjoyed the word cunt like me... (laughs) (laughs) I just knew I'd found my person. Uh, This woman has gone on to direct hundreds of plays and musicals in the West End, on Broadway, all over the world. You name it, she's been there, right? And I'm immensely proud of all of her achievements. But mostly I'm proud of how long she's survived an industry that has mostly tried to suppress and change her. She has fought tooth and nail to sustain her career. And if you ask any actor that has ever worked with her, they will tell you she is by a royal mile the best director they've ever worked with. Despite the classism in this industry, she has had a really successful career. But if truth be told, if she was an Oxbridge graduate or a middle-aged white man, I would not be having to do this intro right now because you'd know exactly who the fuck she was. She is my moral compass, my right arm, and the best human being you'll ever hope to meet. My best friend, Hannah Chiswick. Oh, babe! Honestly. That's amazing. It's like, this is your life. (laughs) That's not how this is your life went. But when would you ever get the opportunity to write that about your best friend? Oh, babe, honestly, that's amazing. Right, here's yours. Ready? It better be good. Better better than that. I'm going
1: to rewrite it as I go. (laughs) (laughs) Laura is without doubt one of the funniest fuckers I have ever met. And somehow she has managed to turn that into a career. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, she is one of the most talented actresses and comedians I know, and without doubt the hardest working. She trained in musical theatre, but her first love was always comedy, and she bravely moved away from her musical theatre career to focus on just that. As always, grafting all the way, working the comedy circuit and forming her own double act, Checkley Bush, with her great mate, Victoria Bush. Having had a career that has spanned 20 years, the last few years have seen her really skyrocket. And finally, the world is getting to see what I have known for a very long time, just how amazingly brilliant she is. Mm. Most recently, you might have seen her on the box, in Action Team, Military Wives, Detectorists. But she's probably best known for playing Terry King opposite Tom Davis in The Brilliant King Gary. Of course, her biggest achievement is being my best mate for twenty years, <laughs> and she is quite literally the human I couldn't do life without. Oh. My all-time bestie, Laura Checkley.
2: Woo-hoo. Oh, that's oh, nice, that isn't that it? Is so lovely. <laughs> that's so lovely. Although I am getting married, um, in when am I uh, next year at some point? Um, and oh no, it's the year after. But uh, you're probably going to have to do all that again. I know. Without mentioning my CV, but thank you. That was lovely. You are very It's welcome. mad, isn't it? When you said I've been in the industry for 20 years, I thought, fucking hell, no, I haven't. I I'm mean, nearly have 25. 20,
1: well, I'm 21, actually, yeah. I'm nearly 25. I, st- I mean, I did start young listener. I'm not 900. But yeah, I yeah, 25, I can't believe it. I can't believe I've hung in there for so long.
2: So I think what we should do next, really, is um, at the beginning of the show, we always ask one of our guests where they'd like to take us back to, uh, somewhere that connects them to their working-class roots. So me and Han thought, well, we should probably talk about that too. Why not? It'd be nice to know. Um, and I actually don't know what you're going to say. So if you could take me back or us back this week, where would you take us, Han?
1: Oh, I would definitely take you to my bubba's house. So bubba is, for those who don't know, the Jewish word for grandma. My bubba is an amazing woman. She... Uh Came well. Basically, she was born in this country, but she was first generation immigrant. Her parents didn't speak English. She couldn't really read or write. Um, she could, but uh, not terribly well. Her parents didn't, um, like I say, even speak English, and she somehow managed uh, as an immigrant quite orthodox jewish woman she managed to buy a tiny bit of a house um which was unheard of in the working class community that she grew up in and especially for immigrant women she bought this tiny bit with my granddad an amazing man as well who was a, a, a cabbie a london cabbie and uh, over the years they bought a bit more of the house um by bit by bit, bit, by bit. Wow. yeah bit by bit until they owned this sort of four or five bedroom house in Stoke Newington. Now that house now, I mean, can you imagine what that's <laughs> worth now? But then, you know, and they did it by having lodgers and uh, by my grandma's sort of, she used to make, uh, to start off with, she used to make matchboxes and go around with like a tray and sell them in markets oh, wow. and stuff and um and then bit by bit she earned enough money to buy herself a little stall and she started selling kids clothes and from that stall she then managed to get a little shop uh and it was just uh, she, amazing amazing woman given her background and the lack of opportunities that were given to her she just completely made this life and that house i still dream about it I, I I visit in my dreams a lot that it had a glass front door with like metal casing it's hard to explain it was like a big double door and when it shut the the metal would rattle and it's still to this day my favorite sound in the world because wow. it would be the going into my grandma's house and yeah. um Jewish culture is very much based around food <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. everyone would come. So on a Saturday, it would just be full of uh, the family and um, kids and we'd just eat and be together. And Were you there a lot? A lot. Yeah. Almost every weekend. Yeah. Um, so she was in Stoke Newton and uh, my dad had defected to South London, which was, you know, big news. <laughs> um and uh, all his family stayed north but yeah we were there a lot and we used to get in the car on a saturday and drive through the blackwall tunnel and that's still my favorite drive because to me that's like driving to you know my, my grandma's house that yeah, that's definitely yeah. my all-time favorite place and do you ever go back there
2: pass it at all I,
1: my aunt still lives very close in 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 the road around the corner and we do and um i took my son to show it to him. I mean, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you know, I think he was sort of three at the time, and I and he's like, "All oh, right, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just a front door, isn't yeah, it?" But yeah. I, I went with my cousin Sarah, and we took our kids and had a picture at the gate. And um, I still feel, uh, it, yeah, it's it's the centre of my childhood that house.
2: It's interesting that you say you dream of that house a lot because I think you and I had a conversation years back. Do you remember when when my dad died? I kept dreaming of my nan's house. Yeah. And you'd said to me, um, Hannah's very good at psychology, listeners, uh, but you'd said Amateur to me, <laughs> <psychology>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd said to me, well, that's where you felt safe. It's your safe place. And I mean, that leads me uh, very nicely uh, to, to where I'd take you back, um, which is also my nan's house, um, which was 123 Braybrook Street in <laughs> East Acton. Um, and it was around the back of the Scrubs and the Scrubs prison Um And like you, I was there every weekend. I was actually lived there for quite some time. Um, You know, when growing up, uh, we hit a really bad financial spot. My stepdad uh, lost everything and we lost our house and um, we had to get rehoused by the council. Um, And a lot of the time, and pre that, when my mum split up with my biological dad, um, we lived in Bracknell and so I spent a lot of time in yeah. that sort of separation period, and you know, uh, back and forth living with my nan on all of those sort of um, those moments in my life where we were just upside down. So for me, like you, Han, it was a place of safety, mm. and I can remember every. God, I'm getting upset thinking about it. I know it's <laughs> emotional, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Every corner. Oh, I'm gonna have to stop. Check.
1: Do you know what one of the things I always feel really, really sad about? Uh, it, it, I have very few regrets in our friendship. I feel like we've been through so many things together. Mm. But I always feel so sad I didn't meet your nan. Oh, my God, you'd have loved her. <laughs> and I just feel like a similar thing. I'd love you to have met my bubba. Like, they feel like that. those women have influenced us so much.
2: And oh, it feels God. Like, I, I tell you what, my nan is in every character I do, pretty much. Yeah. It, it, in some way or another... Her wit, I mean, she's one of the best comedians I've ever come across <laughs> yeah um, but anyway I remember every corner of, of that house um, and you know my nan was quite a messy old mare she really was <laughs> like my mum's super clean oh, you've been around my mum's house I mean she's you know one step away from just having all the polythene still on the sofa yeah, yeah? Like, she's yes. absolutely <laughs> true she's really clean and uh, my nan was not um, uh, and uh, it was quite mucky and, you know often you know, you'd you find a, a mug in a drawer with a chicken drumstick in and like it'd be in a knicker drawer and she'd just hide the mess you know sweep it under the rug because she'd always say to me there's more important things in life than spending your life cleaning Laura uh yeah and and that place god I can still remember the smell um the carpet how it felt under my feet and you'd go in the front door and the stairs were literally two steps away from the front door and my nan um refused to get a new front door. It was odd. I think she just loved it Um, because my, my stepdad had said to her, I think you need to get a new front door just to get some, you know, better locks on it and stuff. And she refused. And so what she used to do is never forget this, put the iron in board... Against the stairs, under the the um, the knob of yeah, the, sorry yeah. the door the door handle so and that would be like security. a security. <laughs> um, but it was brilliant that I played football out in the scrubs with the neighbours. It's the only sense of community I've ever known. My nan knew her next door neighbours Sheila and Pat, um, and next to her was Mrs Cross. Down the way was Lil Pepplo, and she just knew all of all of that street. And um, it was it was incredible to grow up in. Uh horse and cart used to come round every uh Saturday with a shellfish. Yeah. yeah. We'd have winkles. I mean it sounds so cockney, doesn't it? Yeah. But that's that's that felt like home. When she died, mum said, I mean she's left nothing. There is nothing but a wedding ring. But when they went into her closet to clear all her clothes out, there was hundreds of garments with labels on still, which she hadn't worn. Wow. She was a bit of a shopaholic. She sounds so amazing. <laughs> but she lived for the moment. I love that. She lived for the moment and, yeah, it was her and that place and that's where I'd take you. I'd take you to that house and you'd have a fried egg and chips and you'd often worry if the eggs were off. Yeah, right. And all okay. of that, you know, but, he just loved it, you know, every part of that. The garden up the back used to be a pigeon shed where my granddad used to race pigeons. Um, and she never really did anything but shoved a load of crap in it when he'd gone and there was still pigeon shit in there and everything. She hadn't even cleared it out. <laughs> um, I used to go there and I'd, I remember being upstairs for hours and just doing like, you know, playing little. And she'd leave you to it and she'd embrace my um, imagination. Yeah. She'd come upstairs and go, What are you doing, kid? And I'd tell her about, you know, a scenario I was probably playing out. she go, You need this, dress up in this. And oh, God. It was, yeah, it was, you imagine, you imagine it, as a kid. It's fun, isn't it, about houses
1: as well? Like, I, I know your parents have moved quite a lot and my parents have moved quite a lot. And that house of my bubba's was uh, a house that she had been in when my dad was born. Yeah. And it was, she died from that house as well. Yeah. And, I, I slightly feel wistful for those family houses.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
1: that's our nans and um, our lives your life my life is is very much connected to that but it's changed a lot and
2: something that we talk to our guests about a lot would you still consider yourself working class well I think this is what also, whilst yes, I do. Um, I think whilst we're on this, and what, and it's really important, Han, that you brought that up. You know that we're now coming at this from a place of privilege. Definitely, you know, our lives have changed considerably, and I think it's important to note that. But the reason I really wanted to do this podcast as well, uh, aside from all of the other stuff that we mentioned earlier, is that yeah, what makes one working class? Is it how how you are brought up? Is it what you've got now in front mm. of you? Um, for me, I'm very connected to my working class roots. I gravitate towards working class people. I still feel out of sorts. If I go, uh, y- yesterday, I went for lunch with Tom Davis, who uh, is, plays opposite me in King Gary. He went, we'll go to Soho House, which is a private members bar. I still walk in that gaff. I know. Feeling like I'm a leper yeah it's so bizarre no one's treat me like it it's all in my head but I don't feel comfortable in those places it's why because you know uh, earning a bit of money now people go why don't you get so her membership and I'm like it just doesn't sit right with me I want to go and sit in an old boozer it's where I feel comfortable and it's the people I want to mix with
1: oh it's an interesting thing isn't it because I don't actually know what class I am my mum's work middle class came from a middle class background and my daddy's very working class we grew up my early childhood was very working class. My dad is an actor. He's a brilliant actor. I'm not he's, just an, he's an amazing actor. actor. I can vouch for But that. in our early childhood, he was having a lean patch. So it was always, you know, our early childhood was him signing on. And I have huge memories of, you know, digging down the back of the sofa for 50p so we could go <laughs> to the pub. And we didn't have a car. Um, you know, we never went abroad. All of those sorts of things that I think of as very middle class. And then as my childhood went on, my mum and dad made a bit more money. But that was... Probably more by the time my sister was a teenager, mm. so I think my children and my sister's children are actually quite different, I mean amazing childhoods, wonderful childhoods, um but definitely not an affluent one and And I went to uni and I'm a theater director, which is about as middle class as you can possibly be, yeah, yeah, I went to a state school uh I taught like this <laughs> I'm definitely viewed in the theatre as incredibly working class, probably more working class than I would be viewed in other industries Mm. because theatre is such a middle class pursuit, definitely considered very working class. I have yet to be in a rehearsal process I me and you talk about this a lot, where someone doesn't imitate my accent. I go, yeah, Hannah, sure, Hannah. I, I'm a very aware. I see people. I had that loads when
2: I was working in theatre. Yeah. I we're don't just... get it at all in TV now. No, you know? no, no one comes up to me and goes, oh, what? Laura?" I've had that a number of times in the theatre. It happens to me all the time. And it's not time. bashing the theatre world. It's, not, no, it's no, just what's the happened. In it. It's our experience and we're talking about it. Yeah, you
1: know? it's very much a thing. I, I can sometimes still see people wince when they hear me speak because I don't and speak. And when does that
2: happen? When do you find that in
1: meetings um, and stuff? People look at my body of work and they think oh and they make some assumptions about who I'll be and when they meet me I'm not that I'm, I'm probably more working class and and I don't uh, sound or look if I'm honest how they expect uh and, and I got asked a lot still quite a male industry you know has being a woman really affected my career funny question I don't know I've never been a man but <laughs> I definitely think class has, has played a bigger part in people's perception of what is the type of work I think things have changed. They are changing, but I think the idea that they have changed is definitely not true. Um, So, yeah, so I think that's where uh, I consider, uh, I don't, if I'm really honest, feel super comfortable in very middle-class environments. I still feel uncomfortable if I'm really honest, I still feel quite uncomfortable at my own press nights. Yeah. Um, I feel uncomfortable going into Soho House. I feel like I'm um, being invited. Yeah, you know, those sort of things that you were talking about, those you won environments. A yeah. yeah, yeah. We have together worked with a lot of like amazing young people and from quite sort of working class backgrounds and, and worked with them at a brilliant place called the Erdan Academy, which is such a diverse student body. It's a really exciting place to work. But one of the things that, you know, I, I find with those students often is they feel like a lot of that theatre world is closed to them. I try yeah, and persuade 100%. them to go and, you know, pick up new plays and I tell them about playwrights that represent them. And, but they don't want to step foot in the National Theatre Bookshop because they feel like, and I have to say, I mean, you worked at the National recently, yeah. but I still feel like a fraud when I go in there. I feel like other people are real directors and I'm sort of giving it a go. something I wanted to ask you actually which is obviously I was thinking about this yesterday but we've been friends for a really really long time now like you know we're not just saying it for the purpose of the like you know you're my best best mate do you think partly having that that sort of working class roots is part of what's made us such good friends do you think
2: that's something that we share or do you think that's been part of our friendship 100% you know when I've got no, when I've had no money in the past I've been on the bones of my ass, And you've not had the money to give it to me. (laughs) We found a way together. And you're the only person I could call up and go, I'm fucked. I'm so fucked. I can't even get on the bus to this audition. I'll drive around. I'll take you, was your answer. You know, like we... We've muddled through. We've muddled through. And the people that are really, really close in my life, my everyday people, I call them, they get it. Yeah. They get it. They've been there. And... They're the people that, they're my everyday people. That's all yeah. I can say. And and that's how, you know, uh, finding Tom Davis and yeah, James defrond they're the writers of King Gary. When they came, when I came across them, they came across me four, five years ago now. They changed my life because no one in the comedy world, they all liked me, oh, she's good, Laura's good. No one gave me a shot, no. ever. No one trusted me with a, a lead role. And I was doing, you know, I was seeing my contemporaries soaring yeah and we all started in the same fucking pubs we all started at the same time and mm-hmm. I saw them soaring way above us and they came along and they were like well you're just good you don't have to be cool and in the gang yeah, I've right. never been in that comedy clique that, yep. that, that I've, ne- I've always been looking over the fence going can I come in now can I play that's how I've always felt anyway um, and I met those guys and they're the same people. That's why it works. That's why we um, we love working together. That's and, and they didn't just write me apart because they felt sorry for me. They wrote me apart because they thought I was fucking good and deserved a shot. Mm. And they're the sort of people that change your career. They're the sort of people that change your path. Someone that believes in you. And I think that's why you and I, we love teaching. We always go back to it because we just want to help and change people's lives, people's lives and inspire them. And go, look. It's fucking hard. We're not going to lie. It's hard and you have to keep on pushing and pushing and kicking those doors down. And if you can't sit at the table, build your own fucking table to sit at. Invite us along and we'll all create some fucking great work together. And they're the people I just want to spend my time with. And when I met you, and I know we were joking earlier about wearing a hoop, but those things were important to me. I didn't see anyone. No one was... No one was looking like me or speaking like me, and, that, and I know it sounds weird. Of course, I come across a few working class people, of course, along the way, but I didn't see a, a director and a, a female director. I'd never—I could probably count on one hand how many female directors I've worked with, by the way. Yeah, which is another thing that pisses me off. But yeah, so I just knew the minute we met that everything—it's it, our our ethic, our moral compass, our what we want to do in the world and how we want to help others. But it's all rooted in our working class roots. And even though, yes, you know, I've bought my own pad now and I'm coming at it from a place of privilege. It's interesting that, isn't it? I feel like it's such an important thing and I...
1: I feel like it absolutely gels us together. A few things. First of all, like you you referenced it earlier. It's a money is a big thing. I think it's the thing we're still not supposed to talk about money. We always and talk about. I mean, don't we? Always, do you always. Remember always, my
2: new job? I just got a phone job. I went. you yeah, never I guess, guess what. Well, I'm. <laughs> but earning. do you know what's so wonderful
1: <laughs> is like I was talking to my son about money. Actually, he's only six, and. um, He's like, you know, just starting to think about money, and I was saying, it's it's not an important thing. I said, it's it, it's important to have enough to get through life, but he was watching some nonsense on YouTube and saying, oh, this guy's a millionaire and that guy's a millionaire, and yeah, yeah. And, and I was saying, you know, Auntie Laura, we couldn't care less who's got what, or who hasn't, as long as one of us has got enough to get by. And I realised that our friendship is so built around uh, that not being the thing that we not expressing as well. I feel like the thing that we admire in each other is like, you know, I think you're amazing. I've thought you were amazing back in the day when I was helping you carry your costumes to the upstairs of a pub, you know, when we were getting help you get changed in a loo <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, I don't think you're any better now than I. I I've always been your number one fan. And, yeah. and I know you're my number one fan. And yeah, the they're built on the fact that we think that we're good humans as well. The other thing I think it's built on is humour, a hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah. Laughing. I mean, I can phone you up and tell you my misfortunes, (laughs) and we will. I mean, me and you. You know, when your dad was dying, we always talk about that. When your dad was dying, like some of the laughs. You know, won't go into details. But me coming round to help you clear your dad's house out, howling with laughter. I mean, and tears and laughter, and I think that's a huge. Do you think um,
2: just talking about laughter and and um, humour in the working class? In working class society, do you think it is an important thing? I think it's just a massive way of
1: getting through life. I, yeah. I've always thought that me and you've definitely said it to each other. and but um, I very
2: rarely come across someone working class and they haven't got a sense of humor. Very rarely. Is that a sweeping statement, but that's how I feel. That's yeah, I think what that's, I've come it's across. a way
1: of getting through things, isn't it? It's yeah. a way of like I think it's it's an armor and it's a strength and it's a it's a way of, you know, owning it and and it's power. I think humour's power. Some for of the sure. best laughs
2: for sure have been in the most in the oh. darkest moments.
1: So I suppose just before we, you know, wrap up just wanted to like revisit why we wanted to do this a little bit and I suppose it's mostly to like we say to celebrate really I'm so proud of like I say my own sort of heritage if you can talk about class in that way it is definitely mixed my mum's very middle class my dad's working class we had a working class part of our lives we then we had a, a middle class part of my of our lives and I still feel like a real mix of those things but very connected to to that working class history i think and yeah. I just wanted other young working class people particularly young working class people to feel i feel like when you're given space which we both have definitely been given and that you can either keep that space for yourself or you can stick your elbows out and make space for other people mm. and i feel like it's our duty to stick our elbows out as much as we can
2: yeah and i think the guests that we have lined up um i think you'll you'll hear their stories and each of them along the way have stuck their elbows out yeah. or they've built that table um, to sit at. And that's the main reason we're doing this. It's not to, to bash any other classes. It's not to sit here and say, woe is me. You know, we might get a bit deep sometimes and, and we'll absolutely get a bit angry sometimes. Um, but we're here to celebrate the working class. Um, And we're here to celebrate like-minded people and talk to them. And and yeah, like Hannah said, inspire hopefully a few youngsters out there that might be feeling that there isn't any space for them. So I I, I really, really hope that you enjoy the show. Um, At the end of the show, we usually ask our guests who they'd like to celebrate a working class hero from their life. Um, So Han. If you could celebrate someone today, I think I know who you're going to say, who would you celebrate?
1: Well, I feel like I'm going to bookend uh, (laughs) the way we started, but it has to be my bubba, Betsy Chiswick. And (laughs) uh, she was just, you know, a a force of nature, a, a warm, funny uh, capable, bright, amazing woman and with so few opportunities given to her, she made them for herself and uh, she was a wonderful mother, a wonderful grandmother, a fantastic businesswoman against all the odds and she built her own little corner of the world that was, was my haven. So uh, I miss her every day. Betsy oh. Chiswick,
2: your go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'll be bookending it as well with, um, with my nan who is... For anyone that knows me, my hero, uh, my comedy hero, uh, the the woman I looked up to and thought, that's who I want to be like, as she was aiming a banana skin across the room at somebody for a laugh. I thought, that's who I want to (laughs) be. She had a wicked sense of humour. She was hardworking. She um, was hugely talented. She used to be able to play the piano just by ear. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a really talented singer. Um, and she never got to do any of it. I, I really wish she'd have seen me be funny on telly because, um, yeah. well, I know she would have definitely have said she gets it from me. And I do, <laughs> I do. I look like my nan. Everyone says it. Uh, like old mates from the cricket club always come up. I was up there the other week actually. I went, you're just like your nan. You're just like Winnie. And I love it. I love it. She's like a stand-up comedian. She'd, I'd never forget as a, as a child at house party. She had loved a house party. She'd cook for 17, 18 people Christmas Day and then she'd do another lunch of food Christmas night because all the other people come around for a knees up. The house was ju- we're like sardines in this house, this tiny little house in East Acton. And she was at the centre telling stories. And I thought, I just want to be like that. Um, and I miss her every day. And she's in everything I do. Mm. I always think, live for today. I'm terrible saving money. I'm terrible <laughs> with any of that. And I'm just like her. But And I wouldn't change a thing. So... If I die, or when I die, have a look in my closet. There'll probably be loads of clothes with some labels on. (laughs) You can have my engagement ring. (laughs) Yeah, and her, um, her name was Winnie Morris, and I love her. Love her dearly. Well, that's us. That was lovely, wasn't it? It was really, really lovely. It was so nice to hear your story as well, Han. I mean, there's plenty more to cover still. I feel like we did. I know, that. it's all right. We'll go to the pub and we'll carry on like we <laughs> normally do. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, thank you so much for joining us for this bonus episode. Join us fortnightly to hear the amazing people that we've been lucky enough to have as guests. And uh, we're sure you'll enjoy listening to them as much as we've enjoyed talking to them.
2: Take care. Keep it classy, guys. Mm. The Proper Class podcast is produced by Michelle Far Scott for Rangabe Productions. Edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. This episode was recorded at the Umbrella Rooms. Cheers, Ben.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.